Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, This is Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. This is not Carmen, as you can tell. This is Dan Darling. I'm Senior VP of Communications at NRB, previously worked at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I'm glad to be here this morning uh, guest hosting for my friend Carmen LaBerge, who's taking some uh, deserved time off. Love to be with you here this morning on the radio. And uh, as you're waking up and kind of get your morning going and... uh, trying to figure out kind of what what the world's going to look like today. I don't know about you, but uh, the last several months have been, you know, pretty disorienting for for me and for a lot of folks around the world as we kind of process everything that's going on here uh, in our country and the world in in 2020. Uh, I had a phone conversation with uh, my mom, um, you know, a few days ago, and I asked her, hey, mom, you know, you've lived through some things through the 60s and you've lived through uh, several other things, 9-11 and all this, these things. How does this year rank, you know, with with uh, other years that you've endured? And I was surprised that she told me that this was by far the most, I would say, kind of topsy-turvy, chaotic, uh, kind of frightening year that she's uh, lived through in terms of uh, what's going on in the country. But even as we we have fear and we look around and we wonder kind of what's happening. Uh, we as Christians can trust that uh, the Lord is in control. This has not surprised God. Uh, nothing in 2020 has caught him by surprise, even if it's caught us by surprise. Um, our church uh, is having uh, us pastors at the church kind of read through a book. It's John Perkins new book called he calls me friend. Uh, I've, I've just come to admire John Perkins so much uh, just the way he engages uh uh, the world, and he's 90 years old, and he's still going strong, and it's just a great example. And I wanted to read just a just a little portion of this to open us up. Uh, John Perkins talks here about being a friend, and um, there's a lot of things we can't control in the world today, uh, but the one thing we can control is how we treat others and uh, our friendship. He says this, how do we live out this new paradigm of oneness? How do we move beyond the boundaries and the walls that have separated us along ethnic economic, social, and class lines? Is there a healing balm for the sin sickness of ethnic hatred and prejudice? The Apostle John said it most clearly in Scripture, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship or friendship with one another. And then he, uh, Dr. Perkins says, my argument is that friendship is the way across and through the lines that have separated us for so long. Friendship is discipleship in action. God calls us into a deep friendship with himself, with all his children, that is in sharp contrast to how we talk about friends today. There's been a lot of talk about friendship because of Facebook and the internet. You can connect friends and likes and begin to feel pretty good about yourself, depending on how many you accumulate. But I'm not sure that's the kind of friendship that is strong enough to carry us through and across the hard lines that have isolated us from each other. I think you can actually have a lot of those kinds of friends and still be lonely, separated, and afraid. And I just 
really thought deeply about that last night as I read this and into this morning. Uh, there's a lot of incentives in the world to divide us. Uh, there's a lot of forces that want to get pit us against each other online, uh, in our communities. And it just seems like it's getting worse. Uh, but God has given us this gift of friendship with himself, which then helps us have friendship with others. And are we willing to obey uh, the call of the Lord and be friends across these lines and stick in there? I think this is the kind of thing that the church can and should be modeling uh, in a world that is so torn apart by strife. So this was a good word to me from uh, John Perkins, someone who has lived it, someone whose life uh, he's uh, been through the civil rights movement, endured just uh, racism and prejudice and, and abuse his whole life. And yet at 90 years old, has stayed sweet and uh, friendship across different lines and a model for us and how we should engage. And so we'll be talking this morning about some of the th- big issues uh, in our country that uh, have divided people. We've got several great guests coming up. Uh, ben Johnson is with the Acton Institute. We're going to talk about um, some of the unrest we're seeing around the country, particularly what's going on in Seattle with uh, Chaz or CHOP, however you uh, call that. And he's got some great perspectives on that, as well as uh, some ideas about um, free speech and um, capitalism and slavery. Uh, are those two interrelated or are they not? He's got some really um, important things to say. Then we're going to talk uh, with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs about um you know, we're, we're so focused right now on our own country uh, and, the, and the tumult we're seeing, but there are Christians around the world that are being persecuted, and he's going to help us understand some of those hot spots. Uh, and then we have uh, several other guests that are really going to help us kind of think through what it is to be a Christian in this world. So stay with us. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Uh, this is um, um, Dan Darling, who is Senior Vice President at NRB. I'm glad to be with you this morning on the radio and hope you have a wonderful day. Stay with us. This is my right. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen this morning. And uh, Paul McCartney uh, sets the tone for this segment with, uh, I really, really enjoy that song, Freedom. And I remember distinctly him playing that at the Super Bowl right after 9-11 and and, uh, me getting all misty-eyed. But enough of that. We have on the line um, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, uh, who's a frequent guest. And uh, Ben does great work there uh, as the executive editor of the Acton Institute's flagship journal, Religion and Liberty, which is an excellent journal, and I really highly recommend you get this. Uh, Ben, thanks for joining us this morning. Good to talk with you, Dan. So there's so much I want to talk with you about. Uh, I think I first want to start with um, really kind of what we're seeing in Seattle, Uh, and if you haven't been paying attention, uh, you know, Seattle, there's a portion of Seattle that has been kind of taken over, or occupied by, uh, I guess, protesters, some call them anarchists, and have created what they call the um, the Capitol Hill 
autonomous zone or uh, it's Chaz or Chop, some have called it, and have kind of taken that over for a couple of weeks now. But it seems like it's kind of winding down and the, the mayor and the state officials are telling them to, to kind of vacate this. But Ben, uh, what do you make of this? It's, it's kind of a, an interesting development there. And, and uh, how, what, what do you make of this? And are you, are you nervous that this kind of will be a trend around the country? Well, we've seen several places already try to replicate what's happening uh, in this Capitol Hill occupied protest that's uh, taken place in Seattle. Of course, in Seattle, you have a very sympathetic leader in Jenny Durkin, the mayor, uh, who has likened what's happening there to a summer of love. And uh, Mm -hmm. actually, anyone who remembers the actual summer of love uh, would think that's actually pretty fitting. Uh, The summer of love in 1967 in Haight Ashbury in San Francisco ended with um, a tremendous amount of drug addiction, squalor. Uh, In just a few months, Look Magazine went in and and said that in a very few months, the people who were living there had destroyed the area and were incapable of taking care of themselves. And that's exactly what you see, only uh, everything seems to happen faster in that 2020, and so it's happening even faster now. Uh, you know, there have been four shootings in three days. Uh, there's been one person, a 19-year-old named Lorenzo Anderson, who was killed, and um, the police were forbidden from coming in. Lorenzo Anderson would probably still be alive if uh, police were allowed to go in, but uh, protesters linked arms and physically prevented the police from going into uh, the scene. And then they, they tried to have an investigation of their own, which disturbed the crime scene. So right now, the, uh, all, of, all four shootings, including the murder, remain under investigation. Uh, this is a tremendous failing of what it means to be a government. Uh, government is supposed to protect mm. the people the life, liberty, and property of those who pay the taxes and uh, supposed to maintain public order. It's supposed to have a monopoly of the use of force. And the government in Seattle right now is doing none of those things. So uh, actually the most hurting thing I've seen is uh, there was a story overnight that citizens who are trapped in this multi-block portion of the Capitol Hill uh, occupied protest have filed a class action lawsuit against the city saying, we pay taxes for you to do certain things. Our lives are now at risk because you are you have engaged in malfeasance and nonfeasance. It's about time you pay up. Yeah, you you called this. You had a, a piece for the Acton Institute that you said that uh, the whole idea of Chaz violates the purpose of government. Explain that. Yeah, uh, government is instituted by people to, to do a couple of things, and the most basic one is just to keep people safe from all invaders, foreign and domestic. Uh, The philosopher that the Founding Fathers quoted more than anyone, uh, with the exception of the book, The Bible, was a man named John Locke, a British philosopher. Mm. He said that people join together in order to protect their lives, liberties, and estates, or property, which I call by the general name property. That's the great and chief end of men uniting into commonwealths and putting themselves under government. So when the government fails to do that, it's failing its most important function. Um, It's supposed to have an exclusive use of force. It's supposed to be the only sovereign within the area. But we see uh, collectives of people who were supposedly loyal to a rapper by the name of Ross Simone patrolling the area with semi-automatic weapons. So uh, you you have obviously different uses of force, Mm -hmm. people who are uh, 
you know, uh, investigating crime scenes as though they are police, and the actual police and actual first responders are not allowed in. And uh, you know, the government of the, of, the, uh, of Mayor uh, Jenny Durkin released a statement, essentially saying we're not going to respond to any 911 call unless life and limb are at mm. stake. Anything else, uh, we are not responding. They did, however, their idea of trying to de-escalate things was that they got a hold of businesses and told them not to leave trash out because that could be used to set arson. So uh, basically they've told everyone in the area, you're on your own. We're not going to do the very basic mm. thing of maintaining public order and keeping you safe uh, that is the entire reason people form governments in the first place. It's a dereliction of duty. And uh, again, I'm glad that this class action lawsuit is going forward, and I, I hope that they bankrupt the city. Well, uh, that, that's a good explanation of kind of the purpose of government. And uh, we're going to be back with more from Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. And uh, we'll talk on the other side of the break about uh, some of the, the fears about free speech on college campuses and uh, some th interesting things he's written recently about capitalism and slavery. So stay with us on the other side. We'll be back with more uh, with Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. <laughs> Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, uh, and uh, glad to have uh, with me again on the line here, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He's the executive editor of their great journal, Law and Liberty. And uh, Ben, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about free speech. There's been a lot of conversation about kind of cancel culture and some of the fears that many have about free speech. Of course, the the free speech battle has kind of waged on campuses for a number of years, um, but even one of the more uh, uh, one of the places that has really championed free speech, the University of Chicago, which has taken a you know pretty big stand in favor of uh, free speech and, and expression. There, uh, there was a an article by a professor that even even at that place he's worried about teaching something that uh, will be deemed uh, harmful or or wrong and and fear of being canceled. What do you make of that? Well, I think this tells us that uh, even someplace like the University of Chicago, which has been outstanding for freedom of speech and for the free market generally, uh, is really uh, vulnerable to uh, the winds of change that are blowing throughout society right now, the cancel culture, that anything that can be construed in any way as offensive to anyone uh, will, will result ultimately in your losing your job and potentially becoming homeless. Uh, it's a frightening culture that uh, we're living in. Uh, now, the University of Chicago, just so everyone knows, back in 2015, uh, there, were, there were several people, uh, administrators, professors, uh, and uh, the president of the university uh, who had uh, signed letters. And uh, one of them, one of the uh, reports said, concerns about civility and mutual respect can never be used as justification for closing off discussion of ideas. However offensive or disagreeable those ideas may be to some members of our community. So that's about as robust a protection of free speech as you can hope for, particularly mm -hmm. from such a high-level university. And yet uh, there's a, a gentleman by the name of John Cochran, uh, who's uh, very recently a professor at the University of Chicago's uh, School of Business, who said he spent the last several years absolutely afraid that anything he said could be misunderstood to be offensive of someone. And he said every one of his colleagues has the exact same concern. Uh, so, again, if you have that at the University of Chicago, what does that tell you about organizations and universities that are less 
supportive of freedom of speech. Uh, and it's one thing if people say or do certain things uh, that are offensive. It's understandable if people, for example, want to withhold their business from someone they know is a racist. Uh, it's another thing when, uh, for example, there was a, a lady who was fired because she required diversity training, but she, she said that the diversity training didn't go far enough. Uh, mm. So, and, and there are multiple people are in this organization uh, in, in this sort of situation where they're the heads of organizations, but uh, their statements condemning racism are, are said to be too vague or uh, not mm. concrete enough in terms of action or not supportive enough of transgender and non-binary communities and so on. Mm. So they are losing their jobs because of this. We're practically to the point uh, uh, where people are afraid to be the last person clapping for the speech, uh, essentially, like in the old mm. Soviet Union, where everyone has to outdo everyone else. And it's not enough uh, not to say anything. It's not enough not to be a racist. It's not even enough to condemn racism. But you have to meet every condition that the mob sets on your performance. Otherwise, you'll lose your livelihood. It's, it's the epitome of a cancel culture that is uh, choking off freedom of expression, freedom of debate, and leaving people paralyzed in fear. And the only antidote to this is someone has to stand up uh, and issue a statement like this, like the one that uh, the University of Chicago came out with five years ago, saying freedom of speech is an important ideal. That's why we have tenure on campus. And people in the United States of America have the right to have whatever beliefs they have, uh, and it should not affect their ability to uh, win a livelihood, provided mm. that uh, what they are doing uh, offers a good or a service that people are willing to pay for. Mm. Yeah, that's. I mean, it, it is alarming, and it, it does require people to stand up uh, for freedom of speech. Okay, in the last part of our segment here, um, I wanted to, to talk to you about uh, an article that was on uh, Quillette about the intersection of capitalism and slavery. And I know Acton Institute, you know, thinks a lot about capitalism and not just from a pure capitalistic standpoint, but uh, in terms of how it intersects with, uh, with Christian values and, 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 uh, and, and that kind of a, a capitalism. But one of the things that I think people might be surprised by is just how much of an abolitionist uh, Adam Smith, who's kind of the father of capitalism, if you will, how much of an abolitionist he was and how much he decried the slave trade. So you want to speak a little bit about that, because sometimes there's kind of a false assumption that both of those institutions uh, go together. There is this notion, particularly since the 1619 Project popularized the idea that capitalism is somehow derived from slavery or the two facilitate one another in some way. Uh, Adam Smith is certainly the undisputed father of uh, free trade. His book, uh, The Wealth of Nations, more or less sets forward the idea of free trade. And Smith is well known for having been completely opposed to slavery. He didn't believe, he was pessimistic about it. He didn't think that it could ever be wiped out because it was so universal uh, and so mm -hmm. tyrannical. But uh, he made a strong moral case and a strong economic case against slavery all the way back before the founding of the United States, uh, before he wrote his book, uh, about 15 years before he wrote uh, the book that he became famous for. He said that slaves can't be expected to work enthusiastically. Uh, that's the reason you have to whip and beat them and threaten them with force and violence. Slaves, he said, uh, only cultivate for themselves. The surplus goes to the master. Therefore, they're careless about cultivating the ground to the best advantage. A free man keeps as his own whatever's above his rent and therefore has a motive to industry. So in other words, if you give someone the ability to benefit from how they work, 
they will work harder and harder. That, by the way, is the insight behind uh, what's known as the Laffer curve, that above a certain amount, taxation actually becomes harmful uh, to the overall economy and people collect fewer taxes. One of the things, by the way, that's uh, interesting and important is that uh, he was quoted by a person that should be familiar with every one of the listeners here, William Wilberforce, the great anti-slavery crusader uh, who, who, of course, acted on his faith in Parliament, dedicated his entire life. If they haven't seen the movie Amazing Grace, by the way, that's, that is a wonderful explanation of the life of Wilberforce. But he and he was conversing with Smith. Uh, they, they didn't know one another. He quoted Smith in his campaigns against uh, slavery. And ultimately, of course, at the end of his life, he lived long enough to see it prevail. Uh, when it was all said and done, uh, the uh, Royal Navy actually ended up impounding 150,000 slaves in the transatlantic slave trade and uh, releasing them. So uh, ultimately, not only did it, it did a 180 because of the moral force of William Wilberforce and the economic arguments of uh, people like Adam Smith. Mm. That's a that's a I'm glad you cleared that up. And obviously, good Christians will disagree on exactly how capitalism should work. And, you know, nobody said that capitalism is a perfect system. Uh, but obviously, the, the accusation that it's tied to slavery is really unfounded based on history. Uh, but thank you for joining us, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute, the executive director of uh, executive editor of their great journal Law and Liberty. Thank you for joining us. We will be back after this uh, short break and uh, we'll talk ahead with Todd Nettleton with Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for joining us this morning on Mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling. We've got some great radio up ahead uh, for you. We're going to talk next with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs, who's going to help us understand we're kind of the areas where Christians are being persecuted around the world and some of the areas that have improved in terms of religious freedom. Uh, and then we'll also talk with uh, Peter Kapsner about some really interesting things going on in the culture. So stay with us here. Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling. Years ago, Jan and I had several teen boys living in our home. Based on the state of their bathroom, I could tell they needed to learn an important life lesson. So I said, from now on, you need to clean your own toilet and bathroom. Otherwise, you'll lose it. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Unfortunately, the mess got worse, so one day I took the entire toilet out. Pretty soon, the smell was too much, even for them. So they came to me and pleaded, what can we do to get our toilet back? In return for the new toilet, the boys cleaned all the bathrooms in the house for a few months. It taught them how to take care of things. But more importantly, they learned that when you break a rule, you pay a consequence. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling, Vice Senior Vice President at NRB, filling in for my friend Carmen. And I uh, have uh, on the radio this morning, Todd Nettleton, who's the Chief of Media Relations for Voice of the Martyrs, which is a very important ministry 
that really is highlighting and advocating for uh, Christians who are persecuted for their faith around the country. And uh, most of us in the last few months have been focused internally uh, on our own country, the both the pandemic, but also the kind of unrest that is happening around the country. Uh, but we do not need to take our eyes off uh, the rest of the world, the brothers and sisters who are uh, being persecuted for their faith. So we wanted to have Todd on to kind of continue to talk about these. Todd, thank you for joining me today. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. So Todd, the first thing I want to talk about is um, there, you know, when most of us think of Wuhan, China, we think of um, uh, perhaps where the origin of the coronavirus uh, is. And, uh, but uh, there's been a kind of an alarming uh, development there with a pastor who's been arrested during a an online meeting. Can you explain a little bit about what happened there and and how Christians here in America can can pray and advocate? Well, what is happening in China is the worst crackdown against Christians that we've seen since the Cultural Revolution. So you know, sixty six to seventy six. Uh, was the last time it was this difficult to be a Christian in China. And we're seeing that uh, in spite of the virus, in spite of the pandemic, in spite of churches moving from maybe meeting in person to meeting online, like this pastor, uh, Christians are just facing this incredible crackdown. And, you know, what we used to say about China five, ten years ago is, well, yeah, in this province over here, yes, there's a lot of persecution. The provincial authorities uh, are really against the church. But hey, look look over in this province over here. The church is meeting and really doesn't have a lot of interference. Uh, things are going pretty well there. What we see today is everywhere in China, there is a crackdown against Christianity, and it is led and directed and organized by the federal national government out of Beijing. They want to bring Christianity under the control of the Communist Party. They are okay if you're a Christian on Sunday and you go to a registered official church, but the rest of the week you need to be communist first and Christian second. And mm. our brothers and sisters in China say, wait a minute, I'm a Christian first. That comes before everything else. That's not good enough for the Communist government, and they are really trying to put Christians under their thumb. Uh, what what do you attribute this to, Todd? Uh, the the crackdown is there because of the explosive growth of the church in China that has them fearful. Uh, or, what are some of the contributing factors? Number one and number two. What are what are the um, the resources and what's the recourse for a pastor like this who gets arrested? You know, I think there are two factors that I would say are, are certainly part of this. One is, as you say, the explosive growth of the church. There are different estimates of how many Christians in China. I have heard that at an official government function, the number was pegged at 120 million. There are less than 120 million members of the Communist Party. So if if the Communist Party is your base of power uh, and you recognize, wait a minute, there are way more Christians than there are Communist Party members. This is a problem for you. You have to address that. The second reason I would point to is, is the president uh, of China, Xi Jinping, was formerly a leader of a province. And you'll remember I mentioned, hey, we used to say in that province things are really bad. Mm. His province was one of those where it was really bad. He 
in mm. his provincial leadership role, tried to shut down the church, tried to get control. Now he's in charge of the whole country, and he really seems to have brought that philosophy with him. Your second question was, okay, what do we do about this? The, the first thing that we do as Americans is pray. Pray for our Chinese brothers and sisters. Pray for pastors who are in prison right now for their families. The second thing is to be an advocate for them. And there are ways to do that to the Chinese government. We have a, a website called prisoneralert.com where you can write letters to Christians in prison, but you can also write to government officials in their country. Uh, so advocate on their behalf to the Chinese government. But I think maybe more significantly for us right now as Americans is to let our U.S. government officials know, hey, religious freedom is something we care about. When we go in the ballot box and decide who we're going to vote for, one of the things we think about is, hey, did this person defend religious freedom around the world? Did they make that a priority? And we have some, some laws in place. We have some ways that that can be an important part of our U.S. foreign policy. Uh, but obviously, our government leaders have to use those tools. Uh, and so we need to let them know that as voters, that's something we care about. That's something we want to see them do. Yeah, so pray and advocate. Um, you know, it's interesting, Todd, that I wonder how many people, particularly in the last three to four months, even know about the story of this pastor being arrested, uh, just given how internally focused we have been here in the United States. Are you seeing, uh, I don't want to say a decline in interest in international religious freedom uh, over the last four months or an increase? What What have you seen? You know, I don't. I don't know that I would say a decline or an increase, but as you say, the, the focus is very much on, hey, you know, what's let, let me tell you what's happening right here in America. You know, we have a pandemic. We have all this economic stuff. We have uh, unrest in the streets right now. Uh, so our focus, it's hard for us to get our focus past those things. Uh, but persecution hasn't stopped. And even, mm -hmm. you know, the pandemic hasn't stopped. We, we've talked in recent weeks about what's happening in Nigeria. And, you know, Nigeria went on a nationwide lockdown. They told everyone to stay at home. You know, this pandemic is terrible. You need to stay at home. Well, in the midst of about six weeks where everyone was told to stay at home, there were 15 different attacks on Christians in northern Nigeria. Uh, and and mm. so the, the stay-at-home order wasn't protecting the Christians. It wasn't keeping the attackers in their homes. Uh, and so we try to kind of draw people's attention past our own national borders and to look out at the world, and especially within the body of Christ. You know, the, the Bible says when one part of the body suffers, we're all supposed to feel that pain. Well, if we're completely disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ around the world, we can't answer that scriptural mandate. We can't feel their pain because we're disconnected from them. So that's part of the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs is really to make that connection real, uh, to put real people and faces and names in front of American Christians so that we can be connected and, and we can answer that call of scripture to feel the pain of the rest of the body of Christ when they suffer. That, that's a great word. We have Todd Nettleton, who's chief of media relations uh, with Voice of the Martyrs here with us. And uh, Todd's going to stay with us through the next break. And when we come back, he's going to help us um, kind of break down a new report from the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom as we continue to think about our brothers and sisters uh, in Christ who are suffering persecution overseas. Stay with us here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling. I can only imagine when I 
Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling here on Mornings with Carmen, and we're continuing our conversation with uh, Todd Nettleton, who's Chief of Media Relations at Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, Todd, I wanted to talk to you about a special uh, day coming up uh, next week, uh, Day of the Christian Martyr, which uh, would be June 29th. Uh, can you explain the significance of that day and really uh, what churches can do to, to highlight uh, uh, Christian martyrs around the world? Well, Day of the Christian Martyr falls on June 29th because, uh, according to church historians, that's the day the Apostle Paul was executed outside the city of Rome. So uh, it's a day when we hope Christians around the world will really think about and honor people like the Apostle Paul who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. They have literally given their life to advance Christ's kingdom around the world or in their own neighborhood or wherever they were. And, you know, our hope is obviously we want to honor the memory of those people who have made that great sacrifice. But we also want to inspire people to think about, okay, what would I do? You know, this person gave their life. The Apostle Paul was beheaded because he advanced the kingdom of Christ. What would I sacrifice? What would I be willing to give up? to see my neighbors reach for Christ, to see my city reach for Christ. And so that's what we hope happens, is, is honoring the memory of the martyrs and also inspiring American Christians to think about sacrifice, to think about advancing Christ's kingdom no matter the cost. Churches can—we have a video on our website, persecution.com. Everything can be downloaded. It's all digital, so you, you don't have to plan too far ahead. Uh, and we have some discussion questions, some ideas to hopefully— you know, in a Bible study group or in a Sunday school class, show this five-minute video and then just simply talk about sacrifice. Talk, talk about what we'd be willing to give and what it's worth to see Christ's kingdom advance. That's what we hope happens on Day of the Christian Martyr. Yeah, thank you, Todd. I would encourage churches to really, uh, to really do that, and particularly now when uh, we've been focused so internally on our domestic issues, we really need to continue to highlight uh, and and celebrate Christian martyrs, but also highlight the plight of our brothers and sisters uh, enduring persecution right now. Uh, Todd, in the in the last part of our time, I wanted to <clears throat> walk through uh, a new report that uh, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom, an important body, uh, released recently on religious freedom around the world. It's a really important report. What's interesting to me is that uh, it seems like there's some progress in some places, in places like Sudan and Uzbekistan. Uh, but then, uh, as you mentioned before, places like Nigeria have deteriorated. Uh, what uh, what stood out to you from this report? You know, I think one of the things that stood out is the identify, identification of India as a severe persecutor of religious freedom. This is something that we have known at Voice of the Martyrs, uh, but to see this singled out and really emphasized what's happening in India. The Indian government was very mad about being identified that way. There were uh, kind of a tweet storm back and forth about, hey, wait a minute, uh, we're not actually persecuting. But what people need to understand about the government of India, this is the government of Prime Minister Modi, the current prime minister there is, his philosophy and the philosophy of his party is a Hindu nationalist philosophy. If you are Indian, according to them, you should be Hindu. India is a Hindu. Literally, the soil of India is Hindu soil, and you should be a Hindu if you're going to live on that soil. So 
If you're a Muslim, you're not welcome. If you're a Christian, you're not welcome. You should either go find someplace else to live or you should become a Hindu. That That's what this is. And so that has resulted in mass persecution of Muslims, persecution of Christians. And Modi was reelected last year. And so the, the people of India have said, hey, th we actually like this. We want five more years of this philosophy. It was good mm. to see the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom really identify and point a finger at that and, and shine, a, shine a spotlight for the rest of the world to see what's going on there. The other thing that I think was very significant is the talk about the Uyghur people in China, in Western China. Mm. Now, that is not a Christian group. That's a Muslim group. Uh, but literally, some people say as many as two million of them are locked in concentration camps right now. And so it was good that the U.S. Commission pointed a spotlight on that as well. And a, and a bit of a diplomatic risk, right, to uh, for, for for the uh, the commission to to spotlight places like India, uh, which is, you know, perceived, I, I think, is treated as an ally. Uh, and even even China to, to talk about the Uyghurs there. So it, it, it seems like it, a bit of courage in those that were putting together that report. It, it certainly is a bit of a risk. Now, here's what happens to this report. Later this year, the State Department will take these are seen as recommendations to the State Department. The State Department ultimately is the one who identifies, yes, mm -hmm. this is a country of particular concern on religious freedom. So it'll be interesting to see how the State Department takes that. But uh, you're absolutely right. This does, and you could see in the response of India on Twitter that this clearly got their attention. It clearly made them upset, uh, and so there certainly was some some risk to our diplomatic relationships as we sort of hold these countries' feet to the fire and say, "Hey, you are our allies. We want to work with you, but." We can't handle what's happening with religious freedom in your country. We want to see improvement. Uh, that's the purpose of this law. That's the purpose of the report. So now we need to pray for our U.S. leaders as they put it into practice uh, that, that that really will happen. Yeah, let, let's hope that uh, this gets, you know, put into practice. It's one thing to have the report. It's another thing to to actually take steps to, to try to act on it. Um, and, and so it seems like, you know this. This is very, very important, uh, and I th and I really encourage people to go look up and find uh, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. They do really, really important work, really good work. Uh, but I want to thank uh, Todd Nettleton, Voice of the Martyrs, for really getting us up to speed here uh, on some of the really important issues when it comes to international religious freedom around the world. We're thankful for your ministry. We want to encourage churches and individuals to celebrate Day of the Christian Martyr. That's June 29th. That's next Monday. Uh, as we honor those who have given their lives uh, for the cause of the gospel. Todd Nettleton, thank you for joining me, and thank you for joining us this morning on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen on Mornings with Carmen. Welcome back to Faith Radio. Uh, this is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaVerge on Mornings with Carmen. It's been great to be with you this morning. We've already had a really good uh, hour this morning talking about some of the issues around the country in terms of uh, the unrest and uh, chilling effect on free speech, but also taking a view of around the world. Just uh, talked to Todd Nelton with Voice of the Martyrs and really some of the hot spots where Christians are being persecuted, including places like China and India. Um, 
where he said China's crackdown on churches is uh, the worst since the Cultural Revolution. So definitely places we need to be praying for. So there's a lot of bad news that's filling our timelines, uh, our social media timelines and on the radio and TV. This seems 2020 just seems like an endless cavalcade of bad news. But there is some good news, too. So I wanted to highlight a couple pieces of good news at the end of the hour here. Um, and the first one is the return of sports. So the NBA is going to be back. They're going to play all their games in uh, Orlando at Disney World. And then baseball is going to be back. And I'm a huge fan of baseball. Uh, I've always loved baseball. I'm a long-suffering Cubs fan. Uh, they were not planning on having a good year this year. So uh, at least the badness will be limited to 60 games. So that, that's good. <laughs> Um, so, Paul, are you a sports fan? <laughs> well, on and off I am. I mean, I'm, a, I'm up here in the Twin Cities, so, yeah, I like my Minnesota Twins. And, you know, they had their two great uh, World Series years. It's been kind of dry. Of course, dry spells, being a Cubby fan, you, you know dry spells. Yeah, we know what that's like, yeah. So, honestly, 2020 is limited, you know, how bad the Cubs were. They were going to be bad this year anyways. Uh, but I'm excited about it. There's not going to be fans in the park uh, both leagues are going to have a DH. There's got a lot of safety protocols, like they can't uh, chew sunflower seeds and spit them out. And there's all kinds of fist bumps and high fives that they can't do. So that will be interesting. Uh, but at least we'll have baseball back. We'll have something else to argue about. Um, the I'm, other just piece wondering, good... I'm just wondering what a bench-clearing brawl is going to look like, you know? Well, one of the rules, Paul, is that uh, if a manager gets close to an umpire, he could be suspended because oh. of the coronavirus. So you're not going to have those epic, you know, manager umpire kind of brawls there that you typically oh, okay. see. One more piece of good news: uh, I have a brand new book coming out. It's called "Away with Words." You can go to my website, DanielDarling.com, to check it out. Uh, but hope you checked it out. But we're going to be with you on the other side of this break for more mornings with Carmen. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge. Great to be with you this morning on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.